Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I am your host for today. We're here with Colton Narabeski, and he is the president of ClickX. And I'm excited to, uh, to talk about growth, some strategies that they're doing with their clients to help them scale. So Colton, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me here, Hector. I think it's important. Some people go, well, why do we care about the history or why do we care about people's story? But it seems like throughout all the shows, if you kind of look back on the path, it's like, oh, that made sense that that's where they ended up and that's what ended up happening. Is that the case for you? Or talk to us a little bit about how you got to you know, where you're at and, and a little bit about what you guys do for your clients now. Yeah, for sure. So my personal background, I used to live in Tokyo, Japan, was doing market research there mostly qualitative market research for market entry for foreign brands. So we're working with companies like L'Oreal, Nike, Adidas, Diageo Beverages, GlaxoSmithKline, a lot of different kind of big household name companies and running ethnographies and focus groups and that type of thing to help them understand how the Japanese consumers would take in a product that maybe wasn't tailor-made for that market in the first place. And so it was a cool experience to see how the market would respond to kind of the hypotheses of these companies and the exec teams. And sometimes it was a hit and sometimes it was a miss. But I found myself really curious as to what would happen once we put together the report and we sent that off to the, the marketing team at one of these companies. What, what was the actual execution on their communications like? How did that work? So we were running those and eventually something happened at the company. There was some embezzlement of funds in a home office in a different country. And so I showed up to work one day and there's a bunch of lawyers in our office from New York basically telling us that the whole operation was going to get shut down. So close your projects and here's the severance and move on. So I took that as a sign that I should probably jump into the actual marketing side of things and moved over to a kind of a boutique agency still in Tokyo, but doing basically digital marketing consultancy with Philip Morris Tobacco. And they have a technology in the Japanese market that's not really popular outside of it. But anyways, it was very cool to see that, oh, okay, this is what happens when all that data kind of culminates into executions and advertising campaigns and that type of thing. So it was good. I ended up getting married, said to my wife, hey, you know, Canada's got more space. So let's move back to my hometown, Edmonton, Alberta, and ended up back here, served as a VP at an e-learning company for about a year and a half, and then broke out into ClickX as of January 2021. So cool to see I'm curious if the impact of going to Japan had an outsized, like, do you look at that as a foundational piece? I mean, I think that there are, are a lot of examples of, of people who go to Asia or go to these different countries and they are able to find trends or find products and bring back to America. I think kind of Ugg boots is like a famous example of that. Was that an intention? Was that, did you see that? Was that like an effect or how did that play into it? Because I think that the, the Japanese market specifically, they seem to have this reputation for being first adopters or people who are are innovative with their consumerism, if you will. Yeah, they are and they aren't. The thing about a city like Tokyo is, I don't even know, 38 or 39 million people in the city alone, which is more than the population of Canada. There's so many demographics. There's so many ethographics and cultures and micro pockets of different types of people there. My biggest takeaway was that like, you don't need to serve everybody. You need to really hone in on your particular market and your audience, and you need to understand them at a very deep level. So falling back on my kind of qualitative research background, it was a lot of the brands that we were working with wanted to be seen as trendy and have that uptake with kind of a younger demographic in their space. But that could be young moms, that could be 
hundred thousands of Tokyoites who played basketball on weekends, which is kind of a unique thing there. Like all these little pockets. And so coming back to my market here in North America and really leaning on that kind of like cultural lens of like understanding, well, this is the market. This is what they need. This is what they want. This is where things are going and trying to be a step ahead of things so that as you're pushing products out to the market, you always have a lens of what is the culture that you're trying to sell to? How do you fit in? Where does your product land amidst all of that? Yeah. One of the reasons that I like having consultants or agencies on this show is that they get a larger sample size outside of just one. A lot of businesses, they have a sample size of one, only their own perspective to kind of go off of. But you have the unique perspective of seeing lots of different companies. And and in that, I would imagine that there are some roadblocks or some mental challenges or hangups. Like I always think about what makes you like slam your hand against your forehead when you're like, dude, if you just understood this, right? Because, you know, or if you just approached it this way, so much would change. Is there something like that that you run into more often than others? It's a broad question, but like basically the majority of companies, and I I think every business, every business owner, you start with a hunch, you start with some idea and you put that out to market, you see how it goes. Unfortunately, where a lot of businesses stop is they, they stop at kind of like the features and functions of what they're trying to sell. And The biggest dial that I find a lot of businesses don't turn or the the lever that they don't pull is their offer and their messaging. And I, I think it's a big gap in a lot of businesses that I come across where, yeah, they have something that is, it's the right product, it's the right market, it's the right timing, it's the right price. All those pieces logically should fall into place, but without a really strong market message or market offer, it's very tough to differentiate a product or a service from a saturated market from a larger pool of competitors. So I think that's the biggest thing is just the act of coming up with an initial offer and then being open to iterate on that until you hone in on something that really takes off with the market. Would it be oversimplifying it to say that their storytelling isn't where it should be or that they're ignoring that aspect of it? Because I've, I've heard a lot of people come on this show and talk about that, telling your, your client's story and telling your customer's story. Would that fall into that place a little bit? Yeah, to a degree, right? The storytelling is a tactic for sure. But that core underlying message, what is the thing that you want to convey to your market? I, I still think that's a big gap, even for like large enterprise level businesses in many cases. What I see more often than is I'll call it a list of services or like a Chinese food menu of things or features that the the business offers. It could be through a product that they offer or through a service. Tying that into a culminated copywritten marketing message or a marketing offer, it's a skill and it's something that some companies nail and a lot of companies miss. But that's a big gap between what I see as successful businesses, successful companies, and those who are operating, but they're not growing at the scale or the rate that they think they should. So yeah, the storytelling, like you say, is definitely a way of delivering or deploying that message. But again, having the wherewithal to step back and and put together that message and that offer in the first place. And I say your offer should basically be greater than the sum of your features or your services. They should, you, you have to package them. I used an example in a show the other day talking about like, you know, if you had a bag of apples and flour and butter, like, yeah, okay, that's great. But when you put that together into an apple pie, then it's greater than the sum of its parts. That's the thesis that we operate off of when we talk about messaging and core offers that companies need to put together. So what is it that you at ClickX, is it just the messaging that you're working on or how do you help a business or what parts do you help them with? Yeah. So all of that stuff that I just talked about, we help businesses distill that. So more often than not, company will come to us and say, Hey, we need a new website. Okay, great. It looks a little bit dated. Your messaging, your copy is kind of all over the place. But before we commit to doing a website with you, our process, our part and parcel of what we do is we're going to sit down with you and we're going to run basically qualitative study with you. You're going to be the stakeholders. We're not going to talk to your customers, but you'll be the stakeholders. 
we will develop and define what your ICP looks like, your ideal client profile, this is plural, and then we'll step back and we'll put together copywriting. We'll end up writing about two to 500 headlines before we ever put a pixel onto a website. So we're very message over mechanics in that sense. Whereas I think a lot of businesses out there, they expect the writing should be siloed off with the marketing team and the web design should be you know, an agency or a marketing team or whatever. And they're two separate things where I think the website almost gets wrapped around the message. And so we put the messaging really on a pedestal for our clients and help them distill that so that if you were to strip away the website and all you had was like a long form sales letter, it should still do the job. Yeah. Why is it that you think that so many businesses miss this part? Is it that they're just too in the weeds? They're too kind of in the operations to see beyond the trees or because it, it seems like a rather simple and basic thing, but I've come across it too, where a lot of high-level executives, very, very smart people. It just seems to miss it with them. Yeah, it's almost like it's so close in front of your face that you can't see it sometimes. I've been in-house before. I've been around the boardroom table and siloed away for a day or two with the exec team talking about our mission, our values, everything that we put out in the market. But at the end of the day, sometimes you need that second or third or fourth pair of eyes to look at you from a different angle and help you really untangle the things that you do. Because yeah, as a business owner and as an executive team, you do get caught up in the weeds and you get caught up in the day-to-day. And it's tough sometimes if you haven't set aside that time to actually like figure out what it is that you're putting out in the market. What's the thing that your ICPs are going to find valuable? And I don't think it gets talked about very often, especially in the world of like, let's say web design. Everybody with websites, they look at the functionality, they look at how polished it is, they look at the UX and the flow and everything. Very rarely do the headlines get ripped apart. If you look at web design awards and that type of stuff, it's always about how the website looks, but it's rarely about what's actually written on the website. And to that point, if you're a business and you decide that you want to upgrade your website and you're shopping around, you end up contracting a company to build the website for you. They'll build a website and they'll pass it over to you and say, great, fill it in with your copy. That's on you guys. But not everybody's a copywriter. And that's kind of the gist of it is marrying the copywriting mastery with good, solid web design principles. Are there instances that you can think of where either that went really poorly? I think those always stand out with people. So it's always fun to talk about the crash and burns or instances where that marriage worked really well and where you were able to really put those two together. Yeah, it comes down to the people on the other side of the table. It's not always just the company, but it's the buyer and the person that you're interacting with as a stakeholder on the other side. We've had instances where we put together the copy, we provide it, and they're not ready to, or they already have a web designer picked out from an earlier contract or something, so we can't pick that part of it up. Poorly deployed communications is always unfortunate because we put a lot of effort into putting that messaging and the copywriting together. As soon as it leaves our hands and it's in somebody else's hands, we've had that happen where it's just not deployed properly and it's unfortunate. It's not something we want to put our stamp on per se. But conversely, when we contract with companies, they're very open and they're willing to be vulnerable and spend the time with us because it is a very high touch, time intensive process at the beginning, especially to sit down and interview stakeholders and steal an hour of everybody's time. When they go through the whole process and they let us do what we're good at, it turns out amazing. And you end up more often than not with a site that they're really excited, not just to show their audience and their peers that website, but it operates for them. It actually produces business results. We had an engineering, civil engineering firm not too long ago, and we got contract to do the website. We did the whole process. We did all the copywriting. I followed up with them recently. I was like, how are things going? And she goes, yeah, we're almost too busy. We've got more contacts coming into our website than we've ever had before. So it's a nice feather in our hat that we can turn that around for a business like that through messaging and through good proper design principles. But when you have the marriage of good messaging and good mechanics, it does work. What sort of questions are you answering or asking or what sort of insights are you trying to glean from these interviews? Because it seems like, especially with chat GPT these days, everybody's a copywriter and everybody can think things that they can spit out, whatever. But I'd imagine that there's so much magic is done in the questions and, and the insights that you gain from them. So 
Can you talk a little bit about how someone might approach that discovery process and how they might get more out of that? Or even if there's some pitfalls or things to avoid in that process? Yeah, we always say this. If we came into a project knowing everything that we need to know and we could operate off of a hunch, we'd be millionaires. But that's not the case. So we do spend the time unraveling everything about our customer's market. Our process, we have 47 questions that we go through. We kind of break it down into two halves. The first half is really about the kind of functional benefits that your service or product offers and what are the functional benefits and pieces that your ideal client profile is looking for. Immediate functional benefits, future functional benefits, all that type of stuff. And then the second half of the interview where people's eyes start to open up a little bit because they've never thought about it this way is, you know, what are the emotional benefits of these things? So more often than not, we, we operate in a very B2B space. Specifically, we work with a lot of construction companies, engineering firms, architectural supply, that type of stuff. And they really see their service in their market as like, oh, you know, if so-and-so needs our service, they'll phone us. They know what we do. And it's like, well, you're viewing your customers as a company, but actually it's Bob or it's Jane or it's Mike who's picking up the phone and phoning you. So what do they care about? What keeps them up at night? And can we unravel that immediate emotional benefits, future emotional benefits, all that type of stuff, and put that together in a package where all of a sudden your messaging is going to help them sleep at night. It's going to put them at ease. And then all of a sudden you stand out as a service provider in a huge way in a very crowded market because you're speaking to your ICPs in a way that they've never been spoken to before. Yeah, that's a really interesting approach because a lot of people, and I've seen it, I'm guilty of it myself, think about the, especially in a B2B space, thinking about their client or their customer as a business when they're actually individuals with names and and families and, and lives. So, And I would imagine that in a space like the ones that you were talking about, where it's very much focused on the features and the benefits and, and here's what we do, and it's less about here's what you're going through, that I, I imagine goes a really long way in spaces like that. Well, yeah. And if you ask a marketer at an engineering company, they don't usually have marketers, but if you were to speak with somebody on the exec team who helps around the website, for example, what's your claim to fame? What makes you guys special? You'll hear answers like, oh, we've been in business for 30 years. So what? <laughs> it's like, good for you. Your customer doesn't, they might care about that, but that's not the thing that like is going to help them make a buying decision. There's something to be said for being an established entity in the market. But at the end of the day, if you're hungry for more market share, you need to go far beyond that. That's not going to win you new business. Is there any ninja tips advanced? Obviously, it's hard to convey everything in a 20, 25-minute interview. But given what we've talked about, I'm wondering if there's any other things, small wins, quick things that people might be able to implement or execute on that could either get them going with this or if maybe there's like a first few steps. How might someone, if they're excited about this, but perhaps overwhelmed with what this process might entail, like where should they start or what's something that they can do? There's a lot of places you could start. You could sit down and start writing headlines, but if you're not a copywriter, it's not a natural movement for you to, to sit down and do that. But go look at your business's website, I would say, and like, look at your homepage, look at the copy that you have currently written. If it's paragraphs already, that's a mistake. Back off, just have headlines, a little bit of body copy. But any instances where you use the word we or us, take a look at that and see how you can turn that around into a you or that type of statement. So uh, instead of we provide a service that that helps reduce, I don't know, delays in invoicing by 33%. Turn that into a you statement. You'll never have to worry about invoices being late again because blah, blah, blah. You know, we handle such and such and such. Turning your statements around a little bit and really putting yourself in their shoes. What do they want to read when they come to your website? What do they want to feel? What's going to make them comfortable? So many people are so caught up in the work that they do and they do great work more often than not. But saying that you do great work versus saying, 
telling somebody how they're going to feel. It's just a very different approach. It's, you know, selling the sizzle. I think some steakhouses, they talk about that when they're trying to upsell a steak. They're selling the sound and the feeling of that steak arriving at the table as opposed to it's a very nice cut of beef, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I got into entrepreneurship through direct sales. And it was really interesting because it was in 2009 when people just started getting smartphones. It was right when the older generation just started figuring out the internet. And so it was the first moment where the salesperson didn't have all the info. They weren't the only ones with the info where now there was a level playing field. And instead of it being about who has the most information and who could thus withhold and manipulate the information the best, it was about who could be the most helpful. Everybody has access to the information. So now who can be most helpful, most valuable and serve the most? And that shift is even more important online where there's so many options and every everybody thinks everybody's a snake oil sale, you know, so you're really fighting all these kinds of things. And it's really that way to stand out. Yeah. yeah. To that point, my very first job during university was selling cars, was selling Volvos and it was the ultimate nobody trusts you type of job, right? Same thing as direct sales, but yeah, just being helpful and, and meeting people where they are and speaking their language and understanding them. It's the same thing. You're just extrapolating that to a larger market instead of just getting to know Bob and Sarah and why they need an SUV for their three kids, you're really trying to understand what are the functional and emotional needs of your market and how can you speak to that in a broad level and how can you craft an argument that starts at the beginning of the page and goes all the way through the bottom of the page and carries across your social media so you're always consistent and just putting that together in a nice package. Yeah, it seems like the best copywriters and website designers to an extent, less so designers, but the writing and the messaging seems like they're in the heads of their customers or their visitors that they're that's exactly that, it. That they're pulling, you know, they're even using the words that they would use. It's less of a sale and more of they're just self-identifying themselves. Yeah. Well, that's really what it comes down to is helping your buyers make their best informed decision. And if you happen to inform them in a way that puts you in the best light and you're the best option at the time, then you make the sale. And that's really what it comes down to, right? Yeah. So cool. So if listeners want to find out about you, more about you or go into get in your world or ClickX, I know you guys have some resources and some support. Where's the best place to go or what can people go out there and, and get a hold of? Yeah, you can check us out on LinkedIn. I won't ask people to spell my last name because it's a little bit tricky. But if you go to clickx.ca, C-L-I-C-K-E-X.ca, yeah, we are a Canadian company. We do serve international markets quite often, but there's links to, to everything there. We've put together quite a few resources over the last couple of months. We're really starting to push out with helpful information for especially the construction engineering architectural supply space that might be looking to upgrade their messaging and, and marketing approach so that they're not just one of many and they're the only choice in their consumer's mind. Yeah. And you guys just launched a show, if I'm not mistaken, right? This year? Yeah, we did. I'm just running it kind of solo right now, but we're looking for guests over the coming months here. It's called Embedded. So you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, all the kind of main places. Cool. We'll link all that up in the show notes. Colton, this was very, very insightful. Selfishly, I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of this. Thank you all for sticking with us today. If you made it this far, we would love and appreciate a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who is in the midst of scaling their business, thinking about starting one or might need some help specifically even with their messaging, send them this episode and let's grow the tribe together. And as always, we appreciate you being part of the tribe, y'all. We'll see you on the next one.